0: The Hundred Years War was and is the longest conflict ever, actually lasting 116 years. It's saw a peak of medieval culture and knighthood, however, it would also be one of the last. During the war, the many infamous battles showcase the different periods of the war, the first of which was one of the biggest battles, the Battle of Crécy. The Hundred Years' War started when Charles IV, King of France, died without a mere heir in 1328. The sovereignty should have gone to Edward III, the nephew of King Charles. However, the French lords did not want the King of England as the leader. They then invoked an ancient rule stating that no woman could be ruler of France, and Edward III was the nephew of the kings through his mother, Isabel of France. This meant that his cousin, Philippe VI, got the throne of France. However, Edward was not in a position to retaliate against the king of France due to his wars in Scotland, partially financed by the king of France himself. This tension increased when both France and England decided to give refuge to criminals coming from each other's territory. France also decided to claim many territories in Gascony, the last remaining English territory in France. That part of the kingdom was very wealthy and brought much wealth to England, so tensions would come to a boiling point in 1337 when the two sides waged war despite the lack of an actual declaration. Not much happened during the first few years of the war, the two sides not really fighting each other with the exception of Gascony. In fact, the war soon became proxy war as both sides Supported two competing factions in Brittany. Edwards took this time of relative peace to mount a massive invasion force. However, he found that Parliament was unwilling to give him funding to proceed with the invasion. This meant he had to raise the army himself, scraping the barrel from his pockets, taking loans from Italian bankers, etc. However, eventually, he had an army at his hands, and in July 1346, he landed in Normandy. He began campaigns throughout Normandy, raiding villages and small towns in Cherouche. Every valuable item was taken, if not, then it was destroyed. An almost reversed Scourge Earth type scenario, nothing was to be left to the French, while marching closer and closer to Paris. Meanwhile, the French king, hearing of the invasion, amassed an army of his own. However, due to certain difficulties, he wasn't able to have the army in time, meaning Edward managed to take the town of Croissy without any interference. However, Edward quickly realized Philippe had amassed an army almost twice his size, and soon, that same army was ready for battle. Edward and his men retreated to the north, while the French king gave chase in what we know as the French Chase. The English retreated with the French hard on the tails, and almost got caught up when they reached the Somme River. However, thanks to the help of a local peasant, who told the king of a set of rocks that went across the river, the English army soon made it across and decided to camp. In the nearby forest of Crissy, near the town of Crucy en portu late on the 6th of August, the French army attacked. The French army size was unknown, as the financial records for the PC campaign were lost. Rush Chronicles estimated an army up to 120,000 men. Modern historians state it was ranging from 20,000 to 30,000, and mainly composed of Frenchmen as the infantry and cavalry, along with Genoese mercenary crossbowmen. The English army, however, was much smaller, and modern historians state that it could be about 14,000 men in total. 2,500 would be men-at-arms, 5,000 lower bowmen, 3,000 hobblers, and 3,500 spearmen. The English were severely outnumbered, nonetheless. King Edward placed his army in defensive position facing the French Southwest. The left and right flanks of the English armies were anchored to Radincourt, or facing the river, making it nearly impossible for the French to flank. The only way to attack the English was a full frontal assault. The Genoese crossbowmen attacked first, however, they were easily outranged by the English lumbermen, and a sudden rainstorm made it difficult for the Genoese to reload their crossbows. Armorless, as they had left the protection with French baggage, and outranged, the Italians fled. The French knights, led by Alisson, had by this act of cowardice, ran at the English and hacked down the fleeing Genoese as they went, effectively butchering the own men. This had thrown the French army into disarray, and the English longbowmen easily picked off the French. The cavalry, now disorganized, charged uphill, hindered by the mud and the fleeing Genoese. Once again, the English longbowmen slaughtered the French, shooting down The unprotected horses, and then finishing off the horses' riders. When the knights finally reached the English line of spearmen, they were bloody and beaten and were easily thrown back downhill by the English. The French charged over and over, the knights repeatedly facing the same problems as the previous knights did, a muddy uphill run. The English longbowmen, and not to mention that now the whole hill was littered with dead bodies, the French were yet again neaten back. Throughout the night, at one point, they managed to break through the English right flank, but they were beaten back once more. There was even one instance where the blind king of Bohemia, John, he was blind, as you may have guessed, famously told his bodyguards to strap his leg to his horse, and along with the rest of his men, charged at the English right flank, and initially managed to push through the English archers, but were eventually beaten back, killing John in the process. King Fila joined the fray in a final full-frontal assault and lost two horses, and received an arrow to the jaw. Eventually, the French charges subsided. The next morning, more Frenchmen came, but they were chased by the English spearmen, who were now mounted onto horses and were chased. Casualties were low for the English. According to a war call, only 40 people died or were captured. However, modern historians debate that number is too low, and estimate their death would be around 300. However, even that pales in comparison to the French losses. 1,532 and were found dead not including the following day, however no count was made for the commoners. Modern estimates range from 12,000 total men lost to 6,000 men lost, and also an astronomical and questionable estimate of 30,000 men lost in the Battle of Crise. <laughs> Looking at the events of the Battle of quise that occurred, you might be forgiven for believing the English won because of their sheer force and big army. But remember, the French had a numerical advantage of two to one. This means that in all aspects, the French should have won. One argument that you probably heard is the importance of the English longbowmen. The French, like the rest of Europe, used the crossbow, a bow that was more accurate and needed less experience. However, the English were trained all their lives in the art of the longbow, Although it is less accurate, it is more efficient, and if you have proper training in many aspects, you'd be right. The longbow proved highly effective against the French army, purely by the experience of the men wielding it. The English had made it mandatory to take archer class after church. However, the way these archers, and in fact the whole army, was positioned is what truly made the English the dominant army in this battle. The longbowmen were placed in the centers and on the extreme, and the infantry positioned in between them only placing the cavalry reserve contrary to the French army. They relied mainly on his cavalry. The army, positioning on the battlefield, was also advantageous. Edward had positioned himself on top of a hill that stretched from Cousy to the nearby town of Radicourt. With all these factors put in place, it becomes easy to understand why the English won over the French with astonishing efficiency. The battle was described as a total victory for the English and a humiliating defeat for the French, which it was. It provided the English with the belief that the huge cost of this war was worth every single penny and that divine intervention was on the English side, and it was therefore instrumental to the Hundred Years' War.